0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and reading verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Uh, There's something innate, something inbuilt in every human being that ever wants to know, is my life worthwhile? Does what I do make a difference to me or to others around me? In the great scheme of things, what I am doing or what I have done, has it been of any value at all? these are the questions that we ask ourselves when it's all over what of anything would have been worthwhile will my record for my life and my being will it be rewardable will there be any sense of accomplishment and achievement when all is said and done see god made us all with purpose He made us with potential. He made us to be able to accomplish, to create, to achieve, to contribute, to make a difference, to feel validated and rewarded, and to some measure, successful. But many look for these things in the absence of God. And so they strive and they stress and they strain to attain And very often, they find that it's empty and vain and worthless at the end of it, and certainly not making it outlast this life. The apostle Paul here tells us to set our course in the right direction, to make sure that our foundation is solid, to make sure that we have an eternal perspective all that we do. So he challenges us then to live a life that counts. That's the title of my message this morning, living a life that counts. Everybody, without exception, I'm sure, wants to make this life count for something or for somebody. Well, God has made us that way, to make a life that counts. What was Paul's secret? He tells us but godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness, living for God, making God in our lives front and center. <clears throat> making sure that in all that we do is best that we can, as far as we know, we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're doing our best to please the Lord. And to honor him in everything that we do. That's what it means to be godly. To put him front and center. To make sure that the decisions of our life, the direction we're going, things that we're doing, things that we're saying, our aims, our objectives, our goals, all of that is God related. That's what it means to be godly. That God is the center of what we're doing and what we're thinking. Jesus said in John 8, 29, I do always those things that please the Father. That was his heart, that whatever he would do, whatever he would say, would be pleasing unto the Father, and I think he succeeded in doing that. The Apostle Paul picks up on that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 9. He says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. He writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And no others be focused as what I'm doing. Is my life pleasing unto the Lord? Is it counting for eternity? Is there eternal value in what I do? Paul writing again to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, now you're getting right down to basic living here. Whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, Anything and everything you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul couldn't get it, (laughs) it couldn't be any more practical than that. Whatever you do, even what you eat and what you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul writing to the Colossian Christians. Chapter 1 verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. How I handle my finances, does that please God? The relationships which I enter into... Do they please God? The way that I treat my wife, does that please God? The way that I treat my husband, does that please God? The way that I treat my children, is that pleasing unto the Lord? The way I conduct my business, does that please the Lord? The way I work for my employer, Does that please God? Am I faithful? Am I dependable? Do I work in an honorable way? Does it please God? So whenever we talk about godliness, that's what we're talking about, getting right down to the nitty-gritty of life. This is what makes it all profitable. This is what makes it count for time and for eternity. God wants us to live a life that counts. Having promise of the life that now is. The life that is filled with godliness has much promise. Promise for good, promise to be good, to have good, to do good. If we're godly, that's what that will produce. Samus said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so God has made our lives purposeful, Full of potential, and godliness is the key to it all. If you're living for him, then your life will count. It will amount to something. And something not just for this life, but will outlast this life into the eternity of eternities. Godliness is the key to the whole thing. That's what makes it add up, makes perfect sense. It has designed its destiny. Now, we're just, as believers, just not killing time waiting for the Lord to take us home. We're actually fulfilling the purposes of God by living a godly life in our day-to-day daily living. Are you still with me? This is godliness. And it pays to serve the Lord. It really, really does. It pays to give your life to Christ and allow him to control you. See, that's a big issue with every one of us, isn't it? Control. We want to be in control. But God wants to control us. And we struggle with that, don't we? Ever since the Garden of Eden... We've seen that struggle of control. It's not that God wants to manipulate us, but God knows the best for our lives. He's planned the best for our lives. That's why he wants us to give the control of our lives to him, because he knows what's best for us. One of the greatest lies the devil is ever going to tell anyone is that it doesn't pay to give your life to Christ. It doesn't pay to give your life to God. Do not serve God, for it won't pay. That's, in essence, what he tells people. You'll be reduced, you'll be diminished, you'll be disappointed, you'll be shortchanged, and he will bring to your attention every believer that you've ever known that has filed up or fallen or folded or slipped, and he'll say, there, that's what happens. If you give your life over to God, that's going to happen to you. He'll bring to your attention every sacrifice that you'll make, every thing that you'll give up, every mate that will desert you, every place that you'll no longer go. He will impress upon your mind every struggle that you'll have to make, every Goliath you'll have to face, every fiery furnace, every Jericho you'll have to march around, every Jordan you'll have to cross. And he'll say, see, it's too tough. The path is too steep. The valley's too low. The mountain's too high. You'll never make it. You can't do this. It's not worth it. It's too much hassle and trouble and bother but the devil's a liar because the Bible makes it perfectly clear that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's God's promise. If we are diligent in seeking the Lord and living to please him, he will surely reward us for sure. Godliness is profitable unto all things the Bible says God is a rewarder. It means literally one who gives wages. And of course, Satan gives wages too. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Believers, God has got the best for us, not just in this life, but in the next life. You see, again, the enemy of your soul will come and he will say, well, maybe it is profitable to serve the Lord in the next life. It's all pie in the sky when you die, by and by. But it's going to be tough here. <laughs> You've got to wade through all the struggles to get there. Sure, there'll be some reward, but he wants all that struggle beforehand. But Paul says, <coughs> we're going to be rewarded here and there. Now and then. Godliness is profitable by all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Sama said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There's the promise that now is. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's the promise of the life that is to come. God is a rewarder. He gives again and again and again to those who diligently seek him. Not in an offhanded way, not haphazardly, not lax, not if it feel like it, not if the wind is fair today. No, if we diligently, consciously put God first, continually, you can be guaranteed that God will be your rewarder. Regardless of what anyone says or what the devil may say or what life may throw at you, you are going to be rewarded. In Acts 2 and 42, when it talked about those new believers on the day of Pentecost, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. Verse 46 of Acts 2. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a, a continuous following after the Lord. Now I look across this congregation and I know that most of you for a very long time, and I have seen that continuous following after the Lord. And I know that you've had to face some tough times in your journey. And I know that there was times when, you, when it was difficult and it was hard, but you kept God first in your life, and you came through that stuff, and you got your reward, and you're being rewarded for that in so many different ways. God finds ways to reward his people. Deuteronomy 4.29, Seek the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. 2 Chronicles 9.3, Prepare your hearts to seek God. Proverbs 18.17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Your search and your seeking for God doesn't end when you find him. Actually, it only begins. It's a lifetime. It's a lifestyle. This is what I love about this old book. No matter how long you have been reading it and meditating on it and studying it, you're going to find something fresh and new. Something will jump out at you someday. You've read it a thousand times, and one day you read it, and suddenly it means something to you. It touches your heart. It's a promise for you that day. It encourages your faith. It lifts you up. It strengthens you in the battle of life, and that's the wonderful thing about this. But you only get that if you're continuing, and you're following, and you're searching, and you're looking and you're meditating after the Lord and the things of God. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's why many times if you meet some of the old saints who's lived a lifetime following after the Lord, there's such a rich history with them. And if, if they're in their, not in their dotage, and their mind is sharp and clear, and if you sat down with them, they could tell you story after story after story in their journey with the Lord and how he blessed them and the rewards he gave them and the things he did for them and the stuff he took them through and brought them out and how they overcame. Why? Because they were living as godly a life as they tried to do. None of us are perfect. We all have our mistakes. We all have our flaws. We're flawed people. But if we seek after him, somehow in the midst of all of our weaknesses and our flaws and the mistakes that we make and sometimes the sins that we do, God in his great mercy and grace and forgiveness cleanses us and sends us on our way again. And we find him anew and afresh daily God has rewarded those that diligently seek him by faith but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come what profit is there in heaven it's incalculable It is beyond our wildest imaginations. What treasures have we been accumulating? What rewards await us in the glory? I don't have time to go into it today. We've done it many times in the past, but there's scriptures that Paul writes about where he talks about the rewards that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer, the great white throne of judgment is for the unbeliever. But the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer to see how we can be rewarded. Not everything will be rewarded. Not everything will be worth rewarding. But that which is worth rewarding, God has promised on that day, you will receive an eternal reward. (laughs) And that's guaranteed. That's according to God's word. So what treasures have we been accumulating? What rewards rewards await us in glory? What glorious sights will we see? What glorious sounds will we hear? Now I don't know what you're like or what you think, but sometimes I lie in my bed. Uh, I find very often the older I get, the more I struggle to sleep at times. It's not because of a bad conscience or anything like that. don't know what it is. But sometimes just lying there in the quiet, I tried to imagine what will heaven be like. And I tried to visualize some of the sights and the sounds. I tell you one thing, there's going to be a lot of in heaven. There's going to be a lot of sound. Because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 8... There's only going to be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. So for, you, for those of you who like perfect silence, you're not going to get much of it. Get used to noise. Good noise. Can you imagine the choirs are going to be in heaven? Can you imagine the orchestras are going to be in heaven? Can you imagine the instruments that will be in heaven? Can you imagine every singer will be pitch Perfect. That's a blessing, Ken, isn't it? I haven't got Billy on the side today, I would say to him too. It's going to be wonderful. John, when he's writing about heaven, he, he writes in Revelation with the with the language of appearance because he's never seen anything quite like it. Nothing on earth could he compare with it. Nothing. Never seen architecture like it. Never seen rivers like it. Never seen trees like it. That's exciting. Now, let me say this again, because I keep repeating this from time to time. Every time I speak about heaven. If somebody told you that next week you were going to Hawaii for a holiday. I guarantee you, you would Google everything you could find about Hawaii. You would look at your hotel, you'd look to see what's around it, you'd look to see how long it takes you to get there, you'd look to see everything about where you're going. Why in the world do Christians not read about where they're going to spend eternity? I don't know. When was the last time any of you have read Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two? Not a hand. It's amazing, isn't it? The place where you're going to spend all eternity and most times we don't even think about it. Well I do think about it. And the older you get, the more you think about it. I remember I told you years ago, I remember years and years ago, was a wee man from Tanrugi, a wee believer, a lovely wee saint, and he was dying. And his daughter sent for me, he says, Pastor, he wants you to come, he wants you to talk to him. He's a believer, he knows he's going to heaven. So when I got there, I says, what would you like me to do? He says, I want you to read Revelation 21 and 22. And I read it to him. And i never forget the look on his face. As I read it, he had a big smile. Why? Because he was imagining himself already there. <laughs> he could see it. He would read it a million times himself, but he just wanted somebody else to read it, and he just lay back in his wee bed with a big smile as if I'll soon be there. <laughs> Why don't we read it together? Revelation 21. Now I saw heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. Ah, John will be glad for that. Because he's in a penal colony in the Aegean Sea in the Isle of Patmos. He lived most of his life beside the Sea of Galilee, grew up there. <coughs> Ministered in Ephesus at that time as a port. It's now away inland because it's silted up. And here he is, as a prisoner. No more sea. Everything he was separated from that he loved. His church, his people, everything. That expanse of sea. He could see in the distance the mainland, but he couldn't get there. No more sea. Also, there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them, and shall be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true, and faithful. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he cried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates in the east, three gates in the north, three gates in the south, and three gates in the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 na- on them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he talked with me, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs, its length and breadth and height are equal. And he measured its wall 142 cubits according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. This is incredible, unbelievable size. And he says when all the believers from all of the ages past and in the future, where's God going to put them all? Well, this city is 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles broad, 1,400 miles high. It can hold at least 70 times the present world population. It's about three quarters the size of America. It's bigger than India, several times bigger than New Zealand, and so forth. It's massive beyond description almost. And yet, John saw it and he got the measurements. You say, is he not just using this as an illustration? No. God created the universe. (coughs) If God can create a little sun like ours that's over a million times bigger than the earth, surely he can create a city that's 14 miles square and cube. The construction of its walls of jasper The city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardox, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, (coughs) excuse me, like transparent glass. You can see he's struggling to describe what he's seeing because he's never seen it on earth. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, because there will be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just a few more verses. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. What a place. What a future. What a reward. think of your loved ones who knew Christ who has gone on before who are patiently waiting for us I I, I can't say for sure but I I would like to think and probably will that they'll be the first to greet us when we get there and what a joy and a thrill that's going to be to see them again Whenever Sally's sister rings up and says, I'm going to be coming over from, from Australia, i going to be staying with you for a couple of weeks, or whenever Claire contacts and says, look, Mom and Dad, I'm coming back from the Philippines for a few weeks. There's a whole hive of activity that goes on in our house. These women know what that looks like when somebody's come to stay with you. The bed linen's changed. I mean, there's not a speck of dust in the place. You can't even sit in the seat. In case you disturb the cushions. (laughs) You know, the the wardrobe, you gotta make wardrobe space so some stuff goes up into the attic and you can't find your shirts and coats for weeks. Uh, And food has to be bought in that you know that they like. Soda fires and potato bread and potato cheese and onion crisps and all the good stuff like that. (laughs) So you're preparing for them and you're excited. There's an anticipation, there's an expectation. And they too. So what's it going to be like in heaven? I wonder whenever we're about, just about ready to go, I wonder are they alerted. They're coming. <laughs> and I wonder are they waiting at the gate? I wonder, as Peter said, now just, just wait now, just be patient. Not quite yet, I don't know. I don't know if Peter ever waits at the gate. The Bible doesn't say it does. But what a moment that's going to be. And whenever we get there, <clears throat> you know, whenever you book a holiday uh, and you get to where you're going, you know, whether it's a cruise or whether it's a flight or whatever it may be, you know, as soon as you get into your hotel and get your bags packed away, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to see something. You're only there for a short time, so you don't know, want to cram everything in and you want to see every sight there is to see and you look at those books and hotel, those brochures, where can I go today? And you're just, you just want to see everything. I think we'll be like that when we get to heaven. We want to see everything. I wonder will our loved ones give us a guided tour. See, someone's been there a long time. They've seen a lot. I wonder will they give us a guided tour. I don't know. But it'll be exciting. And we'll be full of life and full of vitality and full of energy. And there'll be nothing to disturb your peace. There'll be nothing, uh, you know, to sadden us. There'll only be that which will gladden us. You know, this, this moment, and this brought it to my mind the other day, Sally and I were coming out of the Rushmere, and it was a typical wet day, and there was a rainbow being formed, and Sally said, look at that rainbow's being formed, and then she says, ah, it's a pity you can't see all those colors. <laughs> and it's true, and she wasn't being sarky about that, but she meant that, because I can only see two, or if it's very, very defined, maybe three colors at the most in a rainbow, and I can't tell you what they are ah, that was your big chance to say ah, <laughs> and that's a shame isn't it, but when you get to heaven I'll see every colour there is and intact the colour and I'll be able to tell you what every one of them is, isn't that wonderful perfect vision, big, brilliant so it will by the way there's only two rainbows mentioned in the book of Revelation, one is around the throne of God and John says it's like an emerald, whatever an emerald's like, that's what it's like but I'll know when I get there, I'll see it, I'll know what it is No the other ones in Revelation 10. It's great to live for the Lord. There is nothing better in this life than living for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to beat it. It cannot be beaten. It's the best. Ah. And you go through this life, and you find that it's profitable to serve the Lord. And at the end of it, it's only going to get better. <laughs> this is not the best there is. This is a taster. The best is yet to come for every believer. And no wonder we love him. No wonder we serve him. Amen? Amen. And we're talking about heaven and what we'll see. But imagine actually seeing him for the first time. In all of his glory. In all of his splendour. You know, that's what he really wants us to see. That's what he prayed in his great prayer in John 17. Father, that they may see me in the glory which I had with you before the word began. <laughs> Isn't that going to be wonderful? And if he holds up those hands and we see the nail prints, what an exciting, thrilling moment that's. Going to be, I you know. Over the years, I've heard people say, "When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. I'm going to no, you're not going to ask anything. You're just going to stand there, dumbstruck, with the awe and the glory and the majesty, and we'll fall down on our faces before the One who redeemed us and washed us in His own blood and saved us eternally." Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful today for this life that you have given us. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. It is nothing of ourselves. And yet in your mercy and your grace, you gave it to us. So no wonder we're thankful today. No wonder, Lord, we lift up our eyes and in our hearts and our imagination we see you, the one who died for us. The one who shed his own precious blood on that cross. And so, Lord, in these moments together as we're about to break bread at the table of the Lord, we thank you for this life that you imparted. We bless you for every reward you've given, for everything you have in store for the great future that's ahead, for the eternity of eternities, we'll ever live to praise you and glorify you. So we bless you and we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal, or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk.